You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to heart-to-heart chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. You're going to love today's guest, and it just takes me back to thinking of myself as a little girl in a town called Weed, California, in mill housing, sitting there and watching the Miss America pageants. Doesn't every little girl dream of that? Well, we're actually going to talk to a Miss America today, Miss America 2016. Betty Maxwell is best known for representing the state of Georgia as Miss America in 2016. She was also a National Goodwill Ambassador for Children's Miracle Network and a partner with the USO, which love the USO, written books about the USO, so I'm excited about that. And after her years, Miss America, Betty came out with her first album, and we'll be talking more about that too, but I just want to take a moment and welcome Betty. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Oh, I just love that. So were you that little girl too that like just sat there and just watched the Miss America? You no, know, oh. that's like one of the funniest things is like I never watched Miss America growing up. Like I, really? I like wasn't that little girl. It's like the craziest thing. Like I, I feel like I'm one of the only Miss Americas that didn't like grow up dreaming of being Miss America. I, I actually grew up on a farm, and I'm sure we'll get into all that. But I was not a pageant girl like whatsoever. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Well, looking back now, it, I think it's just that, you know, you're going to be pretty and everyone, you know, walk the stage and wave like all the things that, that I think we think of. But I know we'll get into it more. But uh, Miss America is a lot of work, which I know you've talked about. Oh, yeah. but I would love to hear. Um, just tell me just who was that little girl on the farm and kind of what was your life growing up? Sure. So um, and of course, my book, Miss Unlikely, tells like the deep, you know, whole story of my background growing up and and all of that. But um, I grew up on about 675 acres in middle Georgia um, in a town called Fort Valley. Our farm was in Fort Valley, and uh, but I was born in Warner Robins. And um, so that's all right, like in the middle of the state of Georgia. And um, we grew up in a double wide trailer, actually. So when my parents bought the property, um, I was one year old and we moved out there. And since the property was such a huge investment, um, they decided to, and my parents were trying to build their own physical therapy practice at the same time. So they decided until they could actually build their dream home out there, they would just bring a double wide trailer out there for us to live in um, temporarily. Um, And so it was me and my, I have an older brother and a younger sister. So I'm the middle child. And um, we grew up out in that double wide trailer and that ended up being our forever home actually um, until I left for college. So they never actually got to build their dream home out there. Um, we grew up in the double wide trailer with no cable TV, no nothing. Um, I I literally grew up on DVDs of the Andy Griffith Show. That was like, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that was that was my my TV, and um, yeah, just true farm girl. You know, I can shoot shotguns, I can drive a tractor, I can skin a deer, clean a rabbit. You know, you name it. <laughs> Well, see, that's what Miss America needs to be, right? They need to be right, like relatable, like, all America. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole package. 
Yeah, and I love that because my grandma and grandpa had a double wide trailer in a mobile home park in Northern California. And um, like when I think of home, my mom and dad, um, he was my stepdad and they divorced when I was 18, which I want to get to that too. Yes. Um, but uh, I remember like when I think of home, because my mom and dad rented lots of houses and we moved around, like home was my grandma's house in that double mm-hmm. wide trailer. There was always like something good cooking on the stove and the floor was kind of always bendy because I don't know. <laughs> yes, I can totally place. relate. Totally yeah. relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. And I think most of America, like it is like that. I mean, we think of like, you know, there's people in California have the big mansions and all this stuff, but that is America. That is, right. you know, there's a pot of soup in the double wide. And, and I mean, just the American dream, like my parents really lived that. I mean, they saved all their money to put into their own physical therapy practice, which blew up and now it's huge. And, and, you know, instead of, you know, taking the time to build their dream home, we, we lived in this double wide while they became successful in their own careers. And my mom's a CEO, my dad, now, now my parents are divorced now. And that has a lot to do with why they never built the house as well. But right. now my, my dad is traveling all over, you know, teaching physical therapy and innovative new research that they're coming out with to treat patients. And my mom's a CEO running the, the, the Cantrell Center, which is their practice. My mom is now running that by herself. Like, so my parents, they're the American dream. And, you know, I think a lot, a misconception that a lot of people have is that pageant girls have to come from these wealthy families and they have to come from like, you know, live girls who do live in mansions or whatever, you know, like you were just talking about. But the reality is that I feel like the reason why I loved being Miss America was so much was because I felt like I did bring something fresh to the mm-hmm. table, a new perspective, um, and a much more girl next door relatable type of Miss America. Yeah, I love that. And I love that so much. And I think it is so important for young girls to see that, you know, anyone could fulfill their dreams that God has placed in their heart. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit. You mentioned your parents' divorce. I do want to talk about that. But first, just a foundation of faith. And I think, you know, sometimes we think if there's a family with faith, they're not going to go through struggles and they're not going to go through divorce. My mom was a Christian growing up. My stepdad wasn't. And they divorced when I was 18. Actually, my stepdad told me and my brand new husband on our wedding day that he was not going to be home when we came back from our honeymoon, oh my which gosh. was not cool at oh all. Oh my gosh. But yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I understand. Like, even when you're a teenager, you know, some people think like divorce is hard on little kids, but talk about, first of all, that foundation of faith and then the struggle with the divorce, even in your teen years. Right. It's, it's a whole other ball game being an adult and your parents getting divorced. I mean, I was... Yeah. A, a sophomore in college when my parents told me about them getting divorced. And, you know, I feel like uh, almost, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy at any point, but when, at least when you're like a little kid, like, I don't know, when, when kids are like three, four five years old and their parents get divorced, you don't really remember it as much. Mm-hmm. But when you're an adult, you have all these memories that of just your family being so happy and all together. And my family, especially, we were like, all my friends like loved my family. We were like the ultimate Mm. family, like at church, they called us the Von Trapp family singers because we all sang in the choir together. I mean, we did everything as a family and, um, you know, we were a very close knit family and my parents were my ideal, you know, my idea of love, my idea of the perfect marriage. And then to be an adult and see that fall apart, you know, it's hard when your idea of love falls apart in front of you as an adult, because then you start questioning everything. You start questioning, well, why am I even trying to date when 
if my parents can't make it, then, you know, who can? So that was a challenge as an adult going through their divorce because I had to kind of reinvent the idea of what real love is and, and that marriage can work out, you know, mm-hmm. that that is real, then it can be a, that can be real. But, you know, it is, it, it, being an adult and being a child, they both come with their own separate challenges. And I, I was, like I said, a sophomore in college. My sister, on the other hand, my younger sister was only 14. So she was a freshman in high school. So she was right in the middle of it. She was still living at home. Um, and then right after that, I won Miss America. My brother moved to New York. So she really had it the hardest, I feel like, because we were gone. We could kind of deal with it in our own ways and be away from it. But she was really trapped in the middle of it. So I, I really feel bad for her and what she had to deal with during that time. And she's 20 now. So she's much she's much more, you know, she's much more moved on and past it and right. matured. But I'm sure it was really, really hard for her. Yeah, the ripple effect is just so hard. And I think, um, did you ever feel like um, if I just had the right thing to say or I could do something to like help them not get divorced? <laughs> did you ever feel anything like trying to help them? Because I remember my best friend, her and her husband, they were good Christian people. They're like, they're our best friends and they were going through divorce. And I'm like, God, just give me the right words. It'll just mm-hmm. change your heart. And yeah. finally, I, God was just like, you cannot change it. Like, yeah. I can't, if I can't get through to them, you know, right. like, you're not going to be able to say the thing. Did you ever feel that at all? You know, for me, I... I just knew my parents so well, and I really mm. felt like I, I knew that they wouldn't say anything like this if it wasn't like the last straw. You right, know, right. I, I knew they would never bring this up to us because up until that point that they told us, I had no idea anything was even wrong. Like it was, I mean, they hit it so well. Any wow. problems? I mean, I it was literally like a slap in the face. Like, hey, what? Like, what is happening right now? I thought we were just like the perfect family over here. Like. So I didn't feel like there was anything I could do. And it, it's crazy, like, you know, that people think, like you said, if you're Christian, if you're devout, that those types of things don't happen in your life. But bad things, and, and I'm not saying divorce is a bad thing, but bad things happen to anybody. You know, hard hardships come to all types of people, no matter what. And it's just how you deal with those things. And I'm really proud of my parents for how they've dealt with it and how they've, you know, still kept their relationship with us. The, the forefront of their, you know, of their minds, of their mindset going through it. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, life is just hard. Like, the older you get, you just realize, like, life is just life hard. Life just sucks sometimes. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> but okay, you mentioned during this time, you were also, um, you know, pursuing pageants more. And I know that uh, you, I love the title of your book, Miss Unlikely. Like, oh, this thank is, you. like you said, yeah, you, this wasn't something like you planned. So, right. um, so really, was it like surrendering to like, okay, this is something I felt God calling to me, calling me to, or how did that even come to play? You know, I, I want to say that like, well, my mom is the one who initially brought it up to me, and um, I, I didn't really feel a calling to it when she brought it up to me. I was just like, oh no, no way, like no way I'm doing that. Like, I'm not a pageant girl. Like I shot her down immediately. I was like, mom, what are you talking about? Like, no way. Um, I am not one of those girls. Like, cause I truly believed in that stereotype of pageant girls. Like they're catty, they're mean, they're airheaded, they're out to get each other, all of that. And I, I knew that I was not like that. I was a good girl. You know, I, I did what I was told and I, you know, I worked hard and all that. And I just knew that I did not fit into that stereotype of girls. I was down to earth. I was real. And I didn't want to be fake or catty or anything like that. I didn't want to be associated with that stereotype. 
But then, you know, as my mom explained it to me more about the scholarship opportunities in the Miss America organization and the talent competition, which I'm a singer. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always loved singing. It's always been my dream, my passion to sing and act. So when I, when she told me more about it, I decided I would give it a shot just because it couldn't hurt. And if anything, it could help me. It could give me scholarships and it could give me more exposure for my singing. So I decided to try it out. And, you know, initially, I, and I mind you, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I said, I might have watched Miss America maybe once in my entire life. But other than that, like I had no pageant experience. So I was just kind of whooshed into this. I, I borrowed a gown from my Aunt Dodie from like the 70s, from back when she competed in pageants. And wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even spend money on a gown. I was like, nah, like I might not love this and I'm not going to spend money on it if I don't end up loving it. So wore her gown. I got like a swimsuit from Victoria's Secret or something. And turns out there's like special pageant swimsuits you're supposed to wear, like that are actually just for stage. Mine was like actually for swimming in. Um, (laughs) And so I just kind of winged it. You know, I got out there and just kind of tried to do what the other girls were doing. And I ended up being first runner up on my first pageant. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm pretty good at this. Like that was fun. I had a really good time. I I won the prelim talent award. And um, that felt good, you know, getting recognized for my talent, which was really all I cared about at the the time. Um, So I decided to try it again. And then I was first runner up again, my second pageant. Um, And these were just local pageants that were qualifiers for the Miss Georgia pageant that goes to Miss America. And so by my fourth local pageant, I, with some coercion from other people saying I should keep trying because I was ready to stop. I was like, man, I'm sick of getting first runner up. I want to (laughs) win. And um, I definitely caught the pageant bug at this point. I I loved the the feeling of the competition. I I just, it was like every phase of the competition, the interview, onstage question, uh, swimsuit, evening gown, all of that. Th- that was like, and talent, of course, I realized that all those phases of the competition were everything I was good at. Like those were my favorite things to do, you know, talk and sing and my fitness. I was always working out, you know, and all that, you know, I just, it was my niche. So I, I tried one more pageant. The fourth one I tried, I finally won. And um, that meant I got to go to Miss Georgia and then I kind of was like, oh, crap, now I really need to learn what <laughs> no, I really no, need to figure out what period. I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, all right, I better figure out what I'm actually supposed to be doing here um, if I want to stand a chance at, at doing make even making the top 15 at Miss Georgia, which was a whole other ball game. These locals maybe had 15 girls max altogether, but now I'm going right. to be competing against 50 of the top girls in the state of Georgia. So the local directors of the pageant I won helped prepare me and get me ready. And of course, all these details are in my book, but I ended up being second runner up my first year at Miss Georgia. Um, and I won overall talent. And so of course I had to come back and try again. Cause at this point I was, I was loving it. I loved the vibe. I loved the competition. I was passionate about it. I loved the idea of being a role model and helping young people everywhere to have someone relatable to look up to. And of course the service and scholarships. So I went back and won the first pageant that I tried the previous year, Miss Warner Robbins, my hometown local, and then went back to Miss Georgia my second year, won Miss Georgia. I won overall talent, overall evening gown, and overall onstage question, and then went to Miss America and won Miss America. That's amazing. So it's a very (laughs) whirlwind story. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I love it. And so when you go from Miss Georgia to Miss America, I mean, that's just even another level. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, you see, kind of see the behind the scenes and people have trainers and, and all of that. I, I would just love, how did you prepare for going to Miss America? So um, it, it is an entire process. And really, the majority of the preparation takes place when you're preparing for Miss Georgia, the state mm. competition, because you... The, how they pick the winner for a state competition is who they feel like is the most ready to go to Miss America because Miss America is only two months after the Miss Georgia pageant. So you don't really have a lot of time to prepare. So it's you have to get all that prep done while you're getting ready for Miss Georgia. So you're ready to go to Miss America. So it is. I was hitting the gym at least four times a week. Um, getting ready for the swimsuit competition. I was practicing my talent, which I sang an Italian aria from uh, Puccini's Madame Butterfly. Yes, I went and got on YouTube this morning. I'm like, <laughs> my, my jaw dropped. Oh you know, my I'm just God. like watching. I watched your crowning and then I yes. went and watched your talent and my jaw was like, girl. Like, oh my Whoa. gosh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was Aww. wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Um, so yeah, so I was practicing my talent all the time. I had a coach I was working with in Atlanta that I was working on my talent with and the choreography and everything. And then, um, of course, I was doing tons of mock interviews. So um, for those of you who don't know, maybe listening and don't know, the interview portion of um, in the Miss America system is a 10-minute private interview with the judges. And they basically just ask any question they want. They can ask you questions about politics, current events, your platform, your resume, um, personal questions about you, anything. Everything is on the table, basically. And they just rattle off questions and you answer them and you want to get through as many questions as possible because this is their one and only chance to have a private moment with you right. to get to know you. So I was doing lots of mock interviews, answering crazy political questions, current events. I was studying a lot all the time, working with different coaches on helping me to you know learn about what was going on in the world and all of that. And um and then, of course, I designed my evening gown and all that. So it's just there's so much that goes into it. And then um, when I won Miss Georgia, the prep basically is it's the same thing. It's just like times 10. And you're yes. just like hustling, hustling, hustling. And also, you're making appearances as your state title. So I had to go out and be Miss Georgia while for the two months that I was Miss Georgia and make appearances and, and be Miss Georgia. So I had to do that while preparing for Miss America. So it is a lot. It is a crazy, hectic time. Okay, friends, we're taking a short break because there's someone that I want to introduce to you. I love sharing my friends. And today, I want to share my friends in the form of sharing one of my favorite podcasts. So do you have sometimes feel like no one is praying for you? Do you struggle to realize that God hears your prayers and wants to intercede on your behalf? Do you love the Bible? I know, friends, I love the Bible. Then consider listening to my friend Mary DeMoose podcast. It's called Pray Every Day. You can download Pray Every Day app on the iTunes Store or Google Play, which is just amazing. She has her own app for that. You can listen on Alexa device. And if I'm in the kitchen, I'll say, Alexa, play Pray Every Day with Mary DeMuth. And then I see my friends, hear my friend's sweet voice coming through. Or you can go to prayeveryday.show for daily encouragement. Mary reads the scripture, then prays for you according to that scripture. And these are not fluffy prayers, friends. These are heart felt prayers. I've been listening for a year now and I could tell you 
It's deeply influenced my joy and helped me to know that God is always with me. So be sure you check out Pray Every Day by my friend Mary. And really, and I think people really think of more of the swimsuit or the evening gown, but those questions, like you really have to know what's happening in the world. Like you, you do, you have to be knowledgeable about world events and current events and politics. That is a lot. And, you know, I think we always think of how pretty and beautiful these women are, but they have to mm-hmm. be smart and on their toes to right. be able to handle that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, people don't, people don't really know because the, the interview is private. So they don't really, a lot of people don't even know what happens, um, that the interview even takes place. And then things like what happened to me where, you know, they have the onstage question, which is on the telecast at Miss America and people do get to see that, but that's not always shedding the best light on the knowledge of these women um, because you get 20 seconds to answer a question you've never heard before. Right. And it's in front of millions of people. So it's very intimidating. And you, honestly, there's no time during the year of Miss America where you're given 20 seconds to answer any question. So it's really, it's a really tough thing. And then a lot of times you get a question like, like what I got, which was totally off the wall and something that I wasn't prepared for, despite I have not even heard of that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not into sports. (laughs) I'm so excited to tell you. So, so I studied so hard for this, right? Like all current events, politics, I had answers, I had opinions, I was ready. Then they ask, I, I make it into the top seven and they ask me a question about Tom Brady and the deflate gate scandal. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I was so upset. I was like, I cannot believe this. I know nothing about this. I don't even care about football. Like, what? So that that kind of sucked. But you know, it's you just you just have to take take the ball and run with it. And Literally take the football, run with it. And hope that you didn't blow your chance at during that onstage question. And and uh obviously I did it. Obviously they were they were okay with my answer and and despite my answer, I guess, you know, by that point in the competition, they've pretty much picked out who they like already. So Thank God. <laughs> well, I, and I, I appreciated it because you're like, well, if they called it, then he's guilty. Because I think so many times you try to be politically correct. I'm like, I don't right. know. Like, you know. So I'm like, you just like, okay, this is it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I just had to be realistic about it because I honestly wasn't prepared to answer any question like that. So I was just like, okay, let me think about this realistically. If there's any question, like if, if people are thinking about, about like if something shady happened, then clearly something shady happened. Like, right. so yeah, I guess he cheated and he should be suspended. Please don't hate me, everyone in New England. <laughs> exactly. Please. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, so I posted on Facebook, like, what should I ask? Former Miss America. There was so many fun questions. But people, um, what, the question that came up the most was, how is it different um, after the pageant with all the traveling and speaking, they wanted to know kind of like after the crowning, what is involved and maybe was it what you pictured or was it harder than you thought? Right. Um, that's a great question. And, uh, it's a question I've gotten a lot. That's honestly why I wrote my book was because it mm-hmm. was, I, I needed a, a chance to tell all about what it really is like to be Miss America. So y'all go check out my book for all the deep details, but just an overall summary. Um, I traveled about 20,000 miles per month. I don't live in an apartment during the year. Like Miss USA does get an apartment in New York City where she lives. And then when she has events, she goes out and travels for the events and then comes home. Uh, Miss America travels about every two days. 
So she lives in hotel rooms. Wherever the event is, you check into a hotel, you eat room service by yourself. Your tour manager stays in a room next to you or, you know, wherever in the hotel. You you travel with your tour manager and that's it. So it's just you and the tour manager. Right. So you check in the hotel, you eat room service for dinner, you do your events in the, whatever city or state you're in, and then you fly out and go to the next hotel. Um, you live out of two suitcases uh, you don't do laundry. They ship you clothes when you've worn all the clothes they've shipped you before. Um, you don't get to pick out what clothes you wear. The clothing sponsor would just ship a box of clothes to wherever I was going to be next. And I would put all the old clothes in the box and put all the new clothes in my suitcases and head out to the next destination. Um, and I had to wear whatever they sent. Um, I was speaking, like doing keynote addresses, um, speaking to high school, speaking to big organizations and conferences and companies and uh, motivational speeches. I was performing as well because when you're a singing Miss America, you're right. you're booked twice as much. So you have to perform national anthems and sing at different concerts. And uh, I sang with um, symphony orchestras and pretty much everywhere I spoke, I also sang a song or two. Um, I performed at multiple football games singing the national anthem. Um, I mean, tons. I can't even tell you how many times I sang the national anthem. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot. But, and I never messed it up. I am proud to say. That's good. I am so <laughs> proud. Never messed up the words. Nothing. I'm so proud. But um, <laughs> but it's crazy how many people do. That song is tricky. Um, but, but yeah, so that is kind of in a nutshell what it is like. I mean, you are constantly on. You have to be Miss America every single day with, you know, looking perfect, put together. You do your own hair and makeup every single day. Um, and I, I got I, to- I was exhausted just on the travel part. <laughs> <laughs> going and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, yeah, I travel it, to speak once or twice a month and I'm exhausted. Oh and gosh, I can yeah. imagine- Every single day. Yeah, it is. I was sick of the airport and sick of hotels by the end of my year. I mean, I I, I get like PTSD walking into a hotel room now. I'm like, oh my God, I can't be alone in here. (laughs) I just want to go home. (laughs) So it is definitely tough. It is not all glamorous. I mean, obviously there are glamorous moments, but you know, red carpets and, and, you know, big galas, there's only, you know, a handful of those events throughout the year. Most of the stuff you're doing is getting down on your hands and knees with kids at Children's Miracle Network hospitals. You know, I I did a USO tour where I went to eight countries in eight days and performed for our men and women in uniform. Um, I mean, it is nonstop. You are always on the go, always speaking, always performing, always being Miss America with a smile on your face. So it is definitely exhausting. It's like the most exhausting job ever. It's ever. Like literally me. ever, literally <laughs> ever. And it's it's the loneliest job too because mm. you're by yourself. You know, it's just you and your tour manager and um and you don't really ever get to go home. Uh, I went home maybe 5 times the whole year. Um so it is it, it is very lonely, it is very exhausting, um and it is definitely not all glamorous, that's for sure. Yeah. And there's so much. I love how you covered so much of it in your book, um, Miss Unlikely. And I love the subtitle from Farm Girl to Miss America. So <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh, we could talk about this. We could talk about this. Um, <laughs> so I much. love how you talked about just your romance. I watched part of your wedding video and oh, got teared up. So, um, But what I really want to make sure we get to today is um, just talking about suicide. And I know like after all 
the glamour and uh, Miss America. I mean, we live in a real world with really hard things. And um, you know, people have to read the book to hear more about the romance and your wonderful husband and all, <laughs> all of the that. happy stuff. <laughs> yeah, all the happy stuff. Let's talk about the serious stuff. Let's but, talk about you know, the sad stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, my husband and I, have um, adopted seven kids. We have That's three, amazing. yeah, three grown, um, out of the house, married, biological, and then we've adopted seven. And uh, one of our kids, in particular, all of them struggle because of the trauma. But one of them has had suicide suicidal thoughts. Um, she's been, we've had to put her in the hospital a couple times. So I think unless you live with that, it just is not in, on your radar and you don't realize how hard it is and the struggle. So I would just love for you to share a little bit about that story. And you talk about that was really the turning point in your walk with God was just learning how to deal with um, suicide. And I'll let you tell the story. I won't give too many sure. details, but I would just love to hear more about that. Cause I know that there's someone listening that needs to, maybe there's someone they need to reach out to, or maybe they're struggling themselves. So Absolutely. I would just love for you to share. Sure. Um, so w- what happened in my, my life was my mother-in-law, um, actually completed suicide, uh, just a year ago, um, December 23rd in 2018. And, uh, or wait, what am I saying? 2019, I guess it was. I don't know what year. I don't know. It's just 2020 now. So I'm all confused. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. 2018. Yeah. <laughs> it was a year ago. So yeah. yeah. So, um, we just actually hit the anniversary. So the holidays were really tough this year. Um, but so, you know, you like you said, you really don't think about these kinds of things until they happen in your own life. And I think that's because so many people are so afraid to talk about it. It's such a serious issue and it is so uncomfortable to talk about for people, rightfully so, um, that, you know, you don't realize how many people are struggling with suicidal thoughts. You don't know how many people are struggling as survivors of suicide, someone they've lost. Um, you just don't know until it happens to you. And I can't tell you how many people reached out to me once this happened, telling me their own personal story or struggle with suicide. And I, I had no idea that these people that I've known for so long had ever suffered from this or struggled with this before. And it's it's crazy how long it takes people to actually be able to talk about something like this. So I knew that being a public figure, being who I am, it was my responsibility to use my platform after this happened to help raise awareness and to help anybody who may be struggling. And from my perspective, you know, being a survivor, it's totally different than from someone who's actually struggling with suicidal thoughts, obviously. But being the wife of, Mm. you know, it it was just really, it's a weird place to be in because, you know, I had all these thoughts running through my head and, 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 you know, just anger and bitterness and questions and sadness. And am I going to lose my husband over this? Is he going to ever be the same again? I mean, his, it it happened after a fight he had with her. So it's just like, is he going to blame himself forever? You know, I, I didn't, it, I just, I was so afraid and I've always leaned on God. I always have, especially throughout my year as Miss America. I, like I said, I was all alone. My faith was really all I had, but I had to learn to lean on God in a way that I never had before to save not only myself from a darkness that I had never known before, but also to save my marriage. Uh, Spencer and I both we didn't know what hit us when this happened. I mean, I can't even explain to you. You just have to read my book. Um, but the details of, of what we were thinking and, and we were on totally different pages. Obviously, it was his mom. You know, he had completely different feelings than I had. And 
just the struggle to get to a place of normalcy again. And I, I mean, I craved normalcy. I wanted to get back to the way things were. I hated being in this dark place. We were depressed. We weren't on the same page. We were fighting. I mean, it was very dark, very, very hard. And I knew that, you know, once we did get past it, and, and that's all because of our faith and, and Spencer and I being willing to work things out. And, and I encourage fighting. I encourage that fight, get your feelings out there with your spouse, especially going through something like this, get your feelings out there. Fighting isn't bad. It just means that you care enough to put your feelings out there to talk about it. You're not going to, you know, press those feelings down and hold them in. Like you care enough to fight for your relationship. So fight for it. That is good. Don't feel ashamed because you fight. I talk about that a lot in my book that Spencer and I fought a lot. Um, but that's how we got on the same page. That's how we worked things out. And that is why I knew I had to put this story, even though it really is still so fresh. And it was so fresh at the time of me releasing my book. Um, but I knew I had to include that in there of how we did get past it with God. Because when I when this happened to me, I researched you know anything that could relate to how I was feeling as the wife in this position and it being my mother-in-law. And I couldn't find anything like no book, no article, no nothing. So I knew there were other people struggling. I wasn't the first person to be in this position. So I I knew I had to include that in my book of how we, how we were able to move past it and how, you know, you can get back to a happy life. You can get back to normal. It's just going to be a new normal and you're going to have to lean on God a whole, whole lot and, you know, not turn your back on, on the option of happiness and faith. You know, you have to choose that. It, it is a choice, a conscious choice. Yeah. And I think it is, we can either turn to God or we can get sucked into the darkness and, um, you know, the, the arguing and the blaming. And, you know, I mean, you, you talk about in the book how, um, you know, his mom really struggled because she felt like she was losing her son after you get married. I mean, there's all these different layers, but the truth is, you know, she struggled with mental health issues. Um, she struggled with alcoholism. So, you know, it seems like these things, well, this is the cause or that is the cause or, right. you know, the fight was the cause. But really, I, I think I didn't understand this fully until you're living with someone that just there's that tendency towards mental health struggles mm-hmm. to like, what do you mean? This is the worst life ever. Like you have a wonderful home and family and right. you know, all this stuff, but it's, exactly. you cannot, you cannot change them. You cannot help them. And I also love how you appreciate I mean, I appreciate how you said, like, she was a godly woman who was even working and writing and wanted to share her experiences. Right. But when you have those struggles, sometimes it is just so overwhelming that they're, you know, they lose hope in the moment. And I actually wrote um, a true story about a girl who survived suicide and, you know, just working on her book with her, just in those moments, like, there, it is so dark that you feel like there's nothing else. You cannot go on because it's so hard just right. dealing with the daily struggle of trying to pull yourself up and trying to be happy. And, and right. that it's, it seems like it's an easy way, even though you know you're going to hurt everybody. And I think unless you're living with someone or like I worked on Kristen Anderson's book and you don't really understand how hard this is for people. And I love that, you know, you and Spencer try to educate people. And, I, you know, I started watching the video that you guys share, just very raw sharing. Very I think raw. it's so important. Just yeah. getting that out there, making people aware, pointing Absolutely. them to resources. And I love that. I mean, this is not probably the platform you wanted you know, <laughs> after this, but, but yet in, people will listen to you. And I love how exactly. God is able to use that. Exactly. And I, and I knew that and Spencer knew that. And, and, you know, Spencer is probably my husband, Spencer, when I say Spencer, I mean, my husband, yeah. but he, um, he is 
honestly one of the strongest people that I've ever, ever met in my entire life. Even the night of the suicide, he, you know, he sat down, you know, obviously he was, you know, frantic and, and, you know, just overwhelmed, but he sat down and and started praying. He was like, I'm not going to blame God. I am Mm. not going to blame God. This is, God is the only thing that I have, you know, I'm not going to blame God. And, and I, I, just to have that mindset moments after something like that happens, I mean, that's the kind of faith we all wish we had, you know, where, where you never question, you just know that it's all in God's plan. And you know, that, you know, that wasn't her, you know, it wasn't her that took her own life. You know, that was something else that was Satan taking over. That was alcohol. That was medications. That was, you know, it wasn't really her and you can't blame. You can't, you know, ask these questions and expect answers. You just can't know, you know, you never know what's going through someone else's head. All you can do is try to be there for them, but you can never blame yourself. You know, you can never blame yourself. You can never blame them. And that's something that I really had to, to, you know, deal with and, and, you know, come to terms with was being able to forgive her for myself because I was so angry that the person that I love most in this world was hurt by his own mother mm-hmm. and so deeply hurt. But thankfully, you know, I am coming to terms with that. I have gotten to a really good place with it now. And Spencer and I even spoke at the suicide prevention conference um, just nine months after it happened. Wow. Um, we together went and spoke and um, at Callaway Gardens in Georgia. And Spencer is not a public speaker. I mean, it's it's basically what I do, you know, half the time. But Spencer is not a public speaker whatsoever. But he got up there and he spoke to three hundred people about how you know what 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 we went through and how we got through it and you know how we can heal through our faith and through God and and I'm just constantly amazed by him and I I feel so blessed to be able to go through life you know with all its hardships with someone like that yeah I, I love that and I love how you know even in those dark times whatever listeners going through right now like in the dark time they can turn to God and um, I mean I've had those times like God why did you let this happen but immediately. But you know what, God, you're there for me. You could help me. You could strengthen me. And sometimes it's like barely mumbling those words in the middle of tears. But, you know, just turning to him and God's there. Like he wants to be there. So you mentioned it's been a year. Um, I know, I mean, the healing, there's going to be layers. Like it's going to be two years from now, it's going to be a different revelation that God gives you. But in a year after this has happened, what hope would you give to someone who is struggling um, either with suicidal thoughts or a family member? What hope would you give to them? You know, God is is hope. You know, Mm -hmm. our faith is such a gift that we have a God who loves us so much and so unconditionally that no matter what you're going through in life, you have to know that God is there. Even when you are alone and you feel like you have no family, maybe no one physically with you, no family, no friends, you are not alone. And, you know, I put in my book, The Suicide Hotline, like there are people out there who just, who are just there to help you. You know, that that is what they do. They are just there to help you. There is always an option. There is always hope. There, there's never a world without hope because we have God. You know, there's never a world without hope. Uh, we do live in a fallen world. We live in a world where bad things happen. And that's always going to be the case because we're all sinners. We all go through hardships. We all make bad choices, but God never leaves our side, mm-hmm. even in the darkest of times. And I have seen those dark times 
And so I speak from experience that I have been brought back into the light because of a choice I made to trust God and to trust that he's there for me. So I encourage all of you to make that same choice. Choose happiness. Choose to look at the brighter side. Choose to have faith. And God is right there waiting for you, I promise. Yeah. And I love, you, know, you mentioned the suicide hotline. Um, you know, our we've taken our girls to counseling and therapy and, you know, they give them that number. And I'm like, well, they'll never get to that point. Well, yeah, that you never know. Like people are really good at hiding things. Exactly. Um, Post the number on your refrigerator, you know, like, oh, just in case someone might need it someday, you know, let them know that it's okay that if they need to call that. And we've had, you know, some of my teen girls have called that and they'll say, you know, if your parents there, can you go talk to them? Like they will give them help and hope. That's what they're there for. So, um, you know, just, you never know where people are. So, you know, post that number, share that number, let people know. And just recently, um, one of my husband's uh, family members, his um, nephew's wife committed suicide and no one had any idea. Um, mm. that, you know, this was coming and people have those struggles. We just need to, you know, share the number, share the hope, share what yeah. God can do over and over again. Cause you never know when it might be the moment that they need it. I agree. And I, I put the suicide hotline number in my book. Um, and so it's in there. So y'all definitely, if you're going through a dark time, I mean, that is, my book is dedicated to you. If you, mm-hmm. the dedication of my book is to anyone who feels like a failure, to anyone who's going through a dark time, to anyone who's ever been told they're not good enough my book is for you. So um, definitely pick it up, read it. I think it, it's inspiring. Even for me reading it, going back through and reading everything I've been through, I'm like, wow, look how far I've come. Isn't so, it? Yeah. It's and I think crazy. so many times when we write books, I've written lots of books, but you think it's for the reader out there, but even in the process of writing right? it, you're like, it's just like a highlight of uh, yeah. sometimes a low light reel too, but the highlight, right. look what God has done exactly. in my life. I love that. And I have... Um, seven daughters and five of them are still at home. So even when the book came in, they're like, I want to read that. I'm like, I promise you. Yes. As soon as I'm done Aww. with this interview, you will get a chance. I have uh, a 12 year old, a 15 year old and two 16 year olds at home. So they'll probably be fighting over it. Um, but what I, what I love too, even, I mean, on looking on your Instagram, cause you know, teens this age are all about Instagram, all oh, about yeah. the YouTube makeup videos. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, I can say, Yes, go connect with Betty. Watch yes, Betty. Exactly. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on YouTube. Thank um, you. That's I what love I want. That we could have a role model. Yeah, that we could point young women to. Yes, that's like my whole goal in life is to just like there's so many like quote unquote role models out there for young people today, but oh my gosh, they're just not what I would want my kid looking up to as a role model. I mean, it's scary what's out there on social media and what is deemed as appropriate nowadays for young people. And I feel like it's my responsibility, like in my calling from God to be just an actual good role model for young people out there who's on social media, who their parents can say, yes, go follow. She doesn't use profanity. She doesn't, you know, post these like sexual photos. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just like myself, you know, I'm confidently myself, but I'm myself in a way that's, you know, just good for young people, someone actually good to look up to. That's who I want to be. And, you know, that's who I want to encourage all young people to be. So, so yeah, that makes me really happy. And I hope that they love my book. I, I really do. It's perfect for that age. Yeah, I think they will. And I I love, I mean, you know, when they sit there, because we only have one TV, so they all have to share it. When they sit there watching YouTube videos of makeup, now I'm like, okay, I have someone for you to watch. Put it on. (laughs) Exactly. Because I have to watch them all too. Yeah, (laughs) of course. We have one TV in the living room, but you know what I I love? And that's what, you know, you just really have to 
find like the things that like one of my daughters especially just loves all the makeup and all the things mm-hmm. just a good role model that makes me so happy so thank you Aww. for that absolutely thank you that makes me so happy too to hear thank you yeah well Betty I just appreciate you um just sharing your heart sharing your story like like you mentioned there's so much more in the book that um you know talks about just your um, relationship with Spencer and how God led you together, all the things. And I, I encourage people to go and pick it up. And um, so make sure you do that. Miss Unlikely from Farm Girl to Miss America. But where can other people connect with you online also? Sure. Um, so my book is available on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes and Nobles and some Christian bookstores. But um, my, I recommend Amazon because it won't be sold out there. Um, and then my Instagram is at real Betty Maxwell. So y'all go check me out. Um, and then, uh, honestly my, and my website is bettymaxwell.net. And I, I don't really do Twitter or Facebook as much anymore cause I'm just not a fan. So right. check me out on Instagram. If, if, if you'd like to book me for a motivational speaking or singing or any type of event, you can go to my website, bettymaxwell.net and connect with me there. So, um, yeah. Yes, that would be perfect. I hope people do that and connect with you and um, just know that they're going to get someone who's going to be real, but also point people to the truth. That's what we definitely want. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Betty, so much for being here. I know I'm blessed. I know my girls will be blessed. um, So just keep going on. I know it's hard some days, but keep walking this path that God's led you on. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. I just appreciate Betty. I appreciate her heart. I appreciate um, her using the heart stuff in her life to really share hope. Now, we talked about the National Suicide Hotline, and I wanted to give this number to you. Um, Like I said, post it on your refrigerator. Just put it out there. You never know. Carry it in your purse. I mean, you'll never know who might need it. Um, The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273-8255. We will put that in the show notes to um, jot it down or go to the show notes show notes later and get that for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. When people are in those dark moments, they just need something, the littlest thing to cling to, and this might be um, something that they need in that time. So post that, share it. Also, um, the walk it out verse for today is 1 Corinthians, actually it's more than one, 1 Corinthians um, 1, 27 through 29. And it goes like this. This is in the NIV version. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And I love that Betty's um, book title is Miss Unlikely, a farm girl who didn't even dream of pageants, that God used her, used this platform to travel around and share hope. And I know when Betty was traveling, it does sound like the hardest thing ever to go from place to place to place for a whole year. But she was shining the love of God. Even if she did not mention his name um, during her talk, during her speech, she was shining and sharing the love of God. And God can use each of us. We may think, I'm no one important. I cannot do that. Um, That seems too big for me. Just know that if God puts it on your heart, 
um, it can be for his purposes. We can share hope. We can share light. We can share truth. Maybe you're not being called to be Miss America. I know I'm not, but even in our everyday lives. So again, 1 Corinthians 1, that was 27 through 29, about how he can use us, use the lowly things so that we will boast in him. Let me just pray for you today. Dear God, I thank you so much that sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give. We have nothing to offer. There are other people out there that can do such a better job at maybe sharing you and sharing truth and sharing light. But God, I thank you so much that you have called us. And the thing is, it's not about us. It's about you. We don't need to boast in our accomplishments. When we do things that are impossible, we can point others to you, just like Betty is pointing others to you. I pray for Betty and Spencer. I pray that you'll continue to heal their hearts um, dealing with this suicide. I pray that even though this wasn't the platform, the calling that they wanted, that they can go and they can share the story and bring hope and truth to others. Lord, I also pray for anyone out there that uh, maybe feels like this life is too hard. I can't do this. There's too much pain that you will bring someone into their life that can um, encourage them and inspire them. And maybe this was the episode that can do that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you will wrap your arms around that person right now. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share and highlight these stories. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. I would love for you to share it and uh, talk about unlikely. Um, a mom leaving at home with my husband, my grandma, and we have six kids still at home. I have a dog on the floor on my feet right now, so I'm recording this. You could call me an unlikely podcaster, but I do it because I believe in sharing hope and truth and giving women and men a voice to share what God has done in their lives, to share those turning points, to share the hard struggles of walking in this world, but also how when we walk with God, how he can be there to help and support us along the way. So go and check out the show notes on the walkitoutpodcast.com, share, encourage, and inspire other people. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.